0: And just like that, we're back another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Tuesday morning, August 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. You hear the keys. You hear the keys in the background. You hear the I, Josh rattling around. Just got in the office. It sounds better when I record here, but we're also doing some other things. I've got a jam-packed Tuesday and then headed out of town for just a couple of days. We'll still have Late Kick Live on Thursday night. Don't you worry about that. But we've got a loaded mailbag this morning. And it occurred to me for about two weeks because the mailbag's been so loaded, I haven't even reminded you how to submit to the mailbag, which is important when you consider that over the past 60 days, and I'm not making this up, uh, stats and info has confirmed it, a calculator sitting nearby has confirmed it. Our audience for this podcast, just the podcast alone, has grown 46% in the middle of, for the last time, what you would be led to believe is called the off-season. So that word got punted entirely by you guys, but because you are so new, many of you are brand new, welcome Firstly, welcome. You'll learn the nomenclature in time, which is a fancy word for the way we talk around here. We sort of have our own language. Uh, But secondly, I have not reminded you how to submit questions. Every Tuesday and Thursday, the way we do it around here is we have a QA. And the entire concept behind this is you're a lot better at driving the show than I am. So I let you drive and I just respond. I'll sit in the passenger seat. You guys can sit in the driver's seat. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. That's one way to submit. Also, I beg and just outright plead with you. Follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Follow me on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. The DMs are always open, whether you do or not. I would suggest you do. But whether you follow or not, you can submit questions there. And also, as I put out the other day, I'll put it out here and then maybe one or two more times, and I'm not going to do it anymore because I've gotten a lot of submissions If you're looking to help out with the show this year, I don't care what capacity it is. You could be an economics major. You could be a graphics design major. You could have not gone to college at all. I don't care. If you think you have something to offer, hit me up. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. I think I already gave you that once, but that's the email again. Here's what I'm specifically looking for in the social media field. I want a master in the world of TikTok. I want someone who eats, sleeps, and breathes it, understands it, speaks the language, etc., So hello, fellow kids. If you're listening and you want to get on board, that would be one way in the door. All right, We got the the contact info out of the way. We got the thank yous out of the way. Now let's get to the mailbag. Tony has asked the question that many of you have asked. Tony asks, why do Texas fans magically think that the move to the SEC will solve their recruiting problems? This is layered. This is a layered question. The first part of the layer is what are the problems facing Texas recruiting? Because I could argue they really have not had one. Texas recruiting classes have not been ranked in the 30s and 40s. Southern Cal, two cycles ago, they had a recruiting problem. Texas hasn't had the problem. Texas has had a developmental problem, a really big one. Now, I don't even think Texas fans argue that. The problem, I don't think, has been as pronounced on the front end. So the recruiting end, I don't think it's been as pronounced as many have been led to believe. I think the, uh, the old narrative out there, which is one of the words that we're just trying to rid ourselves from entirely, but the old talking points out there. They don't really match up with what I think recent history has shown us. However, if you're asking what does Texas have to do to put a product on the field that is more comparable and how will the move to the SEC give them a product on the field that's more comparable to that of the elite teams in the country, I am not a believer that the move to the conference is really the answer at all, Tony. So this is the part where i got to slow down and i got to tell you what I didn't just say. I didn't just say Texas moving to the SEC is irrelevant. I didn't say Texas moving to the SEC won't help them. I'm sure it can help them. In a case-by-case basis, it can help them. But what I'm telling you is, if you've got a kid from Laredo or Tyler or Dallas or Houston or wherever you're recruiting in the state of Texas or maybe even outside the state of Texas, but I want to talk about in-state kids here for a second. Texas has watched some kids leave. They've gone to Alabama. They've gone to Ohio State. They've gone to Texas A&M. And the thought process around there... Has, and I do agree with this part, has been we haven't given them a good enough reason to stay home. I am not a believer, nor should anyone be, that Texas kids are just all of a sudden being born and going through their adolescence and their childhood and then their pre teen years and early adulthood just turned off by Texas. There will be some. I mean, there are some kids who grew up hating Texas, but that's always been the case and that always will be the case. But I don't believe the average child. In the Lone Star state, has all of a sudden had it bred inside them that no, 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 you don't go to Texas. We root for the Buckeyes in this state. That's not the way it is. The reason they've been leaving the state is because you haven't given them good enough reason to stay home. And the one huge sea change that has happened in college football that has worked against Texas is state boundaries have never mattered less. That technology you hold in your hand, you're probably listening to me on it right now. That cell phone. And all of the things that that opens you up to, the, the new technological portals, I guess they're not new anymore, that that opens you up to make someone who lives in Sacramento, California or Bangor, Maine or Tallahassee, Florida feel like they're right next door. Well, as a result, it doesn't really feel like that huge elite to leave and go to the University of Oregon or Florida State. And I'm just throwing names out there. And so, you have to fight against that. But again, the default for those kids is they would prefer to stay closer to home. They haven't been given a reason. So then that circles back to Tony's question. Why do Texas fans feel that a change of scenery and moving to a new conference is going to improve their recruiting? Well, they feel that way, Tony, because there is a train of thought that Texas a and has had a big leg up on kids because they can pitch. You can come play for us and play in the best conference in America. That is an effective recruiting pitch. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying they haven't landed a few kids over Texas because of that. What I am telling you is slapping the SEC sticker on your helmet all of a sudden is not in and of itself what changes that. It does not change that dynamic because if kids are still looking at Austin and seeing a lot of pretty highly rated four- and five-star kids go in there and then they're MIA on draft day three or four years later, that does not do anything to help you. What helps is if Steve Sarkeesian in year one or year two or year three shows that they have changed the development strategy over there. And they have changed the results, therefore, that are being pumped out of the program. And of course, if you're doing that, then on the field, you're going to be playing better too. But the answer is not a new conference. The answer is a new culture. If that happens, overlapping with you changing a conference, so be it. I will say there's going to be a lot more pressure on whoever the head coach at Texas is. Steve Sarkeesian, or if he doesn't get it done down the road, the next guy and the next guy and the next guy, there will be more pressure than there ever has been, on the staff, the coaching staff at the University of Texas, you know, maybe some people think that the spotlight can't possibly be brighter. The pressure can't possibly be any greater if you're at Texas. Yeah, it can. This is where that conference change really comes into play. Oh, it can. It absolutely can. Uh, In the Big 12, you're looking at Oklahoma. And really, that's the only program you're looking at that, if you were to be honest with yourselves, if we take care of business, should still give us a real solid fight on a Saturday. Everyone else, be honest with yourselves. When you look up and down the lineup of the Big 12, when you look at Kansas State, you look at TCU, you look at Baylor, you think to yourself, if we at the University of Texas are taking care of our business, we should be able to show up with a B-plus effort or a solid B effort, and we should be beating these teams. You cannot walk into the SEC and think like that. The big difference when you walk in the SEC is not that All the teams have 10 wins per year. No, some of these teams are going to look no different record-wise than a lot of the teams that you played in the Big 12. And this is one of my big gripes. No, I'm getting off track here for a second, but it's one of my big gripes with the way Strength of schedule works in college football for some people. Rankings work for some people. And the mentality in college football that you are what your record says you are works for some people. Well, that's not true. In the pros, it is. In college, you are not just what your record says you are. And Texas and any team that moves to this conference finds that out. when Not when you play Alabama. Everyone knows they're good. Or Georgia or Florida, LSU. Those are all big names. Everyone expects a fight. What happens is you face a team like Mississippi State. Mississippi State, any given year, maybe they're floating right around 500, but then you play them on Saturday and you realize, what is this? This doesn't seem like a six-win team. Oh, no, they are. They are. But you've got to also understand, in this world, you find it out the hard way sometimes, you are not what your record says you are. I can take some of those 500 teams in the best conference in college football, and I could drop them in a G5. I could drop them in the Sun Belt, and they're probably a 10-win team. And at that point, that exact same squad with nothing changed but a new conference is all of a sudden ranked in the top 25, and you would look at them a lot different. But you're not. And so you're facing a 500 team on random Saturday in early November, and it's just a dogfight. And you're wondering, what is happening? We're Texas. They're Mississippi State. Well, what's happening is, unlike the 500 teams that you faced in the Big 12, this team, on average, the teams in the SEC in general, are going to have way more future Sunday players on them. Now, what does that mean? Well, over the course of a season, maybe nothing. Maybe they still struggle to make a bowl game. But on any given Saturday, Georgia almost found this out last year against, ironically, Mississippi State. You take an any given Saturday situation, which everyone loves to say, but it's not always true in college football either, just like any given Sunday is true in the pros. Any given Saturday, now there are some teams that are going to win 10 times out of 10. But against a, a program like Mississippi State, even in their 500 years you're going to be watching NFL games a decade from now, and you're going to be watching those starting lineup introductions, and you're going to have a couple of Mississippi State Bulldogs shout-outs there, and you're going to say, oh, man, that guy, I forgot he played at Mississippi State. Dude, They they, were ba- they barely made a ball game when he played there. That's crazy. You imagine what the competition must have been like down there. My point is, You bring your average to just a little bit above average performance into the deeper waters of the SEC. All of a sudden, you can't get away with maybe a performance you could have gotten away with in another conference. Now, in Major League Baseball, one win versus one loss, not a huge deal. But in this sport, the difference between nine and three and seven and five, I mean, it's a huge difference. It's a career's worth of a difference. That's where the pressure is going to be. It's going to be ramped up significantly. Also, knowing that you just got more eyeballs on you now. Even as Texas, I know, but even as Texas, you got more eyeballs on you. So, Tony, I don't know that the recruiting is going to improve just because they're in the SEC. If they properly harness the fact that they're in the SEC and that coincides with better player development and kids see it, that's where that gets turned around. Moving right along. Also, there was a submission the other day. It was kind of a suggestion. I'll put it out there to you since it's your show. Do you guys think I should get a soundboard for this podcast? The other day, you remember, actually, I got to pause. I got to pause recording. Since we're not live, I can do this, and it'll be magically never happen. But I'm telling you, I'm pausing. So hold on just a second. Okay, I'm back. No time elapsed. That's crazy how that works. So you remember uh, a couple of months ago, since I was in the studio that I'm in right now, which I'm not normally in, I went and grabbed the guitar out of the comic book office that they don't know I have access to, so keep that between us. And I did a little sound chime. I did a little chord in the middle of each transition from question to question. It sounded a little something like this. Okay, well, I know some of these fancy podcasts out there that we have rapidly closed on and or passed have nice sound boards where they can play a little sound effect every time they transition from one question to the next. Whereas if you're listening to me, it's just one stream of consciousness for 30 minutes to an hour broken up only by an ad that gets inserted after I record. So I don't even know where it's going to be. Should I do that? Should I get the soundboard? Because if I do, it's not just going to be a boring little soundboard. I'm going to put some very, very interesting sounds in there. So you let me know if you want that. If you don't, if you're happy with the product the way it is, then we'll keep this thing pure off-brand cereal style. They can have the stuff on the middle of the shelf. We'll be that cereal on the very bottom, Malta meal, I think it's called where you got to get down in the catcher's stance to even see it. And it's like, instead of Fruit Loops, it's Fruity O's. Colonel Crunch instead of Captain Crunch. You get it. I had a buddy, street named Byron, who grew up uh, surviving off that stuff. And so I just ask you, do you want that? I'm going to leave it there. But next question. Ba-ding! Pretend we played the tone there. David just has a heater here. He brought it the other day, and I had to push it to this one because I didn't have time. And I wanted to give this one time. David said, so I literally just paused this morning's pod to write you. I don't know if this qualifies as a question for the podcast or just a purely selfish request, but can you please, all bold, italicized, please explain the current state of college football as it relates to the 2000 classic film, The Perfect Storm. I feel if anyone can do this with the magnitude it deserves, you can. Now, David wrote this before I, in my opinion, peaked. My career peaked the other night on Late Kick Live when I metaphorically tied in Jim Harbaugh to the plot line of the movie Twister and Bill Paxton's character in Twister. David did not know that was coming. He submitted this question before that. But since then, I've had several requests. Why don't you do this in conjunction with that movie? Why don't you do that in conjunction with this movie? Well, David Mm -hmm. wants to know, with the magnitude it deserves, how do we explain college football against the backdrop of the 2000 classic film The Perfect Storm? Well, first, I would have guessed this movie came out in like 2008 or 9. So I was way off on the year. So thank you for that, David. I want to give this the magnitude it deserves. So firstly, if you have not seen The Perfect Storm, I'm not giving you a spoiler alert. It's been two decades. You should have seen it by now, or I'm going to assume you're not interested. So remember towards the end, there's a lot of pressure on that crew. I mean, there's a ton of pressure. They have not met their quota of fish. And there's a lot of pressure on you as a captain because if you don't meet your quota, number one, your vendors end up going elsewhere. But number two, you can't pay your crew. And then the M word starts to creep in as a possible threat, mutiny. We don't need mutinous crew. I mean, that's why I mentioned Director Colin every show around here. We can't afford a mutiny on Lake Lake, especially with the season so close. And so what what do they do? Well, remember, they go back out late in the season. They go back out, and they're headed towards the Grand Banks. And, you know, I don't know the area quite like some of you northeastern fishermen do, but that's where you got to go to catch the fish. Well, the Grand Banks, not to be confused with Outer Banks, which is the show I allegedly produce and direct and created on Netflix, season two out now. Uh, Not to be confused with Outer Banks. The Grand Banks is where they're headed, but they're still not getting the job done. And so George Clooney, the captain, makes the executive decision. He's not happy. The crew's not happy. They've got to get results. And so where do they head? Well, they head to an expanded college football. Excuse me. They head to the Flemish Cap. That's where they head. Or at least they think that's where they're headed. Of course, you've got Hurricane Grace merging with a powerful nor'easter off the eastern seaboard that had other ideas. Yeah, I had said that right, by the way. Yeah, sometimes, once every, I don't know, two or three hundred years, hurricanes just flat out combine forces with nor'easters. Now, the reason that this was so unexpected was because all you're doing when you're forecasting is you're using previous analogs of model data. And if you don't have history or record of something happening, then the computer has no idea how to ingest it. And so how in the world were they about to know what was going to happen? And so you're out there, you're all alone. And you're used to rough weather, but you're not used to a Hurricane Nor'easter tag team. Mega powers collide. Shout out Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. And so they're headed to the Flemish Cap. Going to be a big payoff. All their hopes and dreams await out there. And when they arrive home, they'll arrive home heroes. They never make it. They never make it. This is a true story. The entire crew is lost at sea. And not to make light of a very, very tragic situation, but something happens when enough time's gone by that you can speak about it in metaphorical tones to something as relatively as insignificant as college football, and it just is okay for the public. So I think we're going to okay this. How does that tie into college football? Well, remember in 2011, when we had that All-SEC National Championship game, and there are some out there who would wrongfully argue that it was the wrong matchup. No, it was the right matchup. It was absolutely the right matchup, and this one is not particularly arguable. You go ask any reputable odds maker out there, and he'd tell you Bama and LSU would both have been over a touchdown favorite on a neutral field against Oklahoma State. Not an undefeated Oklahoma State, mind you. One that went and lost on the road to my Iowa State Cyclones. So not an unblemished team. And I remember being at the Alabama LSU regular season game, the 9-6 to game which all of you made fun of, kind of ignored both of those teams, that Bama LSU squad. They both hung over 35 or 40 points on everyone else they played. So it could have just been that there was incredible defense being played that night. Anyway, so you have that game, which is the right matchup, but it rubbed people the wrong way because too many were under the misguided notion that it's impossible for the two best teams in the country to reside in the same conference, even though a conference is just imaginary lines on a map. And if I were to have drawn that imaginary line between Tuscaloosa and Baton Rouge and those two teams would have been in separate conferences. All of a sudden, the same crew would have had no problem with it, even though the same two teams are playing in scenario A and scenario B. Well, anyway, the game plays out. Bama wins the national title. Then there's that huge push. Okay. In other words, we're not meeting our quota. In college football, we can't be letting this happen. We can't be shut out. You can't be shut out when you're fishing. You can't get shut out of the national title game. How are we going to solve it? Well, naturally, what we're going to do is we're going to create a playoff so that more SEC teams have a chance to get in. Surely this will never happen again until four years later when your playoff gave you an all-SEC national championship game in Atlanta, Georgia, no less. So in an SEC venue, two SEC teams play for a national championship. And so a couple of years go by, and David, where are we at? Well, I'll tell you where we're at. We're on the Grand Banks. Well, we are. I'm happy here. It's cool here to me. Look, (gasps) cool, Seagull. I'm fine where we are. But enough people aren't. We got a mutiny. People are threatening a mutiny. In reality, these people don't have power to do anything, but they are threatening a mutiny. And so here we go. George Clooney at the helm. We're going to drive this thing hell bent towards the Flemish cap and a 12 team playoff and conference realignment. And we're going to, and that's where the story ends because we haven't seen the ending for college football yet. I just think that there is a great big rogue wave out there somewhere. I don't know. I was watching the movie and I thought, man, if that boat could have only executed a full flip underwater, all these folks would have been saved and I wouldn't have had to watch those terrible last few moments of the crew on the boat. That's I fast forward through that now when I watch it again. Anyway, David, I wish I could give you a happy ending, but you wanted magnitude and I can only be as reality based as reality lets me be. And right now I think that's where we're at. Now, hey, it's not too late. We can turn around. OK, we are we have not hit the wave yet. We can turn it around. I hope the right people are listening. Just just go back to shore. Go back to shore. Nick Saban will retire eventually. Hurricane Grace and the Nor'easter—they will subside eventually. And then just try it again later, guys. Try it again later. What about matters pertaining to this year, though, as we transition? As we transition to the next question, Stephen wanted to know what I'm looking forward to in the five Power Five conferences. What are you looking most forward to? And so I'm going to run through them really quick. Obviously, I could do five separate shows on this, and we're going to talk about this a lot more on Late Kick Live Thursday night. But before I do that, unlike last podcast, I'm going to remember to toss it to an ad break. I'll answer it right after this. So Steven's saying, hey, rapid fire here. Give me something you're looking forward to in each Power 5 conference. Well, let's go Big Ten first. I'm looking forward to a couple of things, so I'm not going to narrow it down to one. really want to know how firm a footing Ohio State's offense is on early in the season. They open against Minnesota, and then they got Oregon at home the next week, and C.J. Stroud, I presume, will be the starting quarterback there. A lot of new pieces, ultra-talented pieces. I wonder if it's one of those games that we've seen play out many times in the past where the big contender goes on the road, and they get the cattle prod to the neck early, but then they end up running away with the game. So what was once an upset alert ends up being a 38-17 to route. Could be like that. Uh, they could have a knockdown, dragout 31 to 27 battle, or they could get beat, or they could beat Minnesota 48 to 10, and then all's well that ends well, and they go against Oregon the next week, and they're off to the races, and they're a for sure national championship contender at that point. I also look at Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin has a chance to break through the ceiling that's always been on Wisconsin football because they've lacked the necessary explosiveness offensively to contend for something past a nice bowl game, hopefully the Rose Bowl if the Big Ten champions in the playoff. You know, that's kind of been the ceiling on Wisconsin. Well, Graham Mertz and this entire passing game is underrated right now. And as a result, even though you're seeing Wisconsin ranked in the top 15, I think they're underrated. And so I'm very much looking forward to that because they play Penn State in week one. And I could say all the same stuff about Penn State could be the biggest turnaround story in college football this year. So those are some things from the Big Ten. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. In the ACC Really fascinated with Miami and North Carolina. Think that game is my circle game in the ACC this year. That one's in the midpoint of the season. Schedule dynamics solidly in the corner of the Hurricanes for that game. But I'm very much paying attention to Ty Chandler. Kind of spoke about this on the show the other night. Ty Chandler is one of the most important players in the country because he is a hinge point, which means a guy you have to have come through for you. He is a hinge point on a contending team. North Carolina is thought to be an ACC playoff contender, at the very least capable of giving Clemson a push if they were to face them in the ACC title game. Also, you may have some people looking at North Carolina saying, okay, if they go undefeated, but then their only loss is to Clemson close in the conference title game, depending on how the rest of the playoff picture looks, maybe they could still back their way in as the second from that conference in a playoff. Point being, people expect a lot out of them. You can't get that without Ty Chandler, the Tennessee transfer at running back, Doing really big things for them this year. Just because you lose a bunch of talent and they lost 2,000 yard rushers there doesn't mean you're left for dead. Quite the opposite. I think people assume North Carolina's offense is going to be there, and it's the defense that they have reservations about. I mean, I'm not saying defense is about to vault into the top 10, but they got some good pieces over there, young guys, but they got some good pieces over there. It's the running back spot that I think if quarterback stays healthy, which is the case for every team. If quarterback's healthy, if Sam Howell's healthy all year, that running back spot, really something to watch. And then Miami, just the opportunity they get. Derek King, we can talk about the quarterback situation and whether he's healthy, but, I mean, we know what we know there. We just got to wait for camp to open, see where he is, and see where they are. But that game, North Carolina-Miami, I'm going to really try and get to that one because that is a big game. In the SEC, I mean, there are 14 different directions we could go. Really wonder if Missouri is being slept on. I wonder about the status of the LSU quarterback room. Now, with the news yesterday that Miles Brennan is going to be out for an extended period of time, I I know a lot of you thought Max Johnson was going to win that job anyway. Well, look, it's obviously his job now, but if you're looking at this and saying, oh, nothing really changed there, you know, because I already thought Max Johnson was going to win the job, nothing really changed there. I don't think you understand competition, and I don't think you understand athletics if you think nothing has changed there. Oh, things have changed. You just can't quantify it. You can't quantify, in other words, What the day-to-day grind, mentally and physically, of a quarterback battle through three or four weeks of fall camp was going to mean. Maybe something, maybe nothing. You can't quantify also what it means, because for all you know, Max Johnson could sprain his ring finger midway through the third quarter of the UCLA game in week one, and you need your backup quarterback. Well, whereas that would have been Miles Brennan, now who is it? It's Garrett Nussmeyer. I've got a lot of hope for Garrett Nussmeyer down the road but I don't know that I necessarily apply that to 2021. So my point is, even if we're getting the same starter there, there is a lot of unknown. And there's a lot of unknown because of what happened yesterday. Now that goes on top of a lot of the unknown that just circulates around the LSU football team. So I think LSU pound for pound is the most interesting team. And as I've called them, the most dangerous team to watch in college football this year because of what the ceiling is and what the floor is. Wide variance on that team. In the Big 12, Oklahoma. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Oklahoma. First time that I think they have gone into a season where people are looking at them as a bona fide national title contender instead of saying, I like them to win the Big 12. Now, of course, they're not going to get past Alabama if they face them. People aren't saying that. Or at least the general national consensus is not that. Now the general national consensus is, I may not pick Oklahoma to win the title, but I think they can win the title. And if they get in one of those games, I don't think they're just going to be blown out like I saw them against LSU a couple of years ago. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, that's the consensus I think now. I'm interested to see what they do with it. I'm interested to see what Spencer Rattler does with Heisman hype behind him and that team with title hype behind him because I told you this time last year, I did a segment, got a lot of heat for it. I don't know why. To me, it was common sense, but I did a segment and I said, I think Lincoln Riley is going to win a title in his time at Oklahoma, and I think it's coming sooner rather than later. I haven't made my predictions for this year yet, and this is not that. But I'm interested to watch that. In the Pac-12, it's the city of Los Angeles. You have got, you could argue, at least two programs where the head coaches cannot afford seven win seasons this year. USC certainly can't. If the Trojans are any worse than 9-3, and three, I think Clay Helton's out the door. I mean, they they have a workable schedule, about as workable as workable gets out there this year. They have to win the South. They absolutely have to win it. They've obviously got the talent roster, always do, to do it. And it's not that they got the talent roster once they get in a playoff to go up against anyone, but it's baby steps right now. At USC, we're trying to win the Pac-12. They haven't been in the playoff yet. Think about that. Oregon and Washington have been there. USC hasn't been there. So if they don't get that done, and I I haven't gone as far as to pick the Pac-12 either, but it's not a slam dunk for me that I'm picking USC. If they don't get that done, I think you'll have a coaching decision to make there. And Chip Kelly's got a much harder schedule at UCLA, so I wonder if he gets a little more leeway. But I think people are ready to see results there, too. Now, Chip Kelly, there are some believers, some West Coast insiders, as I like to call them. They believe in UCLA this year. And so I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt there. But, you know, they open with LSU. If that's competitive, it's one thing. If it's 38 to 13 by way of LSU, then it's another thing. So the the LA schools, I'm interested to watch. Of course, you got the whole Washington dynamic where no one thinks incredibly like elite level high of the team, but yet some of them are still picking them to win the division because they may be favored in every game. That's always fun to watch. And I know I wasn't asked about this, but far be it for me to be a hater of the G5. The G5 is for the 2021 season as interesting to watch to me as it has been any year. I know there have been some higher years than others, but this one in particular I want you to think about how different it is now. This has been a multi-year build to this point. I have never advocated for a G5 team to be in the playoff. So it's going to make me sound like a G5 homer here. You guys know I am far from that. But I also believe in judging case by case, year by year. This year is a different year. And I'm giving you the warning now, whether you like it or not, I'm giving you the warning. A lot of folks have made this blanket statement the G5 will never be allowed in the playoff. Well, that's false. They haven't been allowed in the playoff. Well, they haven't been put in the playoff because they have not earned a spot in the playoff. No G5 team, in my opinion, and the opinion of the committee, has had the resume going up against the other four teams to overtake any of them. They have not. UCF in 2017 did not. Uh, Cincinnati last year did not. So I share the opinion of the committee. So I have never thought anyone got screwed out of anything. Now, you know I think the G5 should have their own playoff, but I'm not talking about that because that's not the way the system is right now. This year... If Cincinnati is undefeated, that team is making the playoff. I am willing to bet on that right now. If they're undefeated, given wins over Indiana, a preseason top 25, Notre Dame, a preseason top 10 or 15 in most people's poll, plus playing in the AAC, which has as high a profile about it right now as any non-Power 5 conference has ever had in the playoff era, if they run the table there and they're undefeated, win that conference, and you combine that with two legitimate top 25 caliber power five wins, that team's going to the playoff. I'm telling you they're going to the playoff. And so you've got that, but you've also got Louisiana with Billy Napier who open against Texas, and then if they get past that game, everything else is winnable. And the week one game against Texas is winnable. But that and the Cincinnati story, and then Gus Malzahn at UCF, need I remind anyone what happened the last time that guy was first year on a job? He took Auburn to within 13 seconds of winning a national title. So there's a lot of fun to watch in the G5. Again, that's not a comprehensive list either. I could go down several other names. And so there is a lot to watch across college football. And I know there's been a lot of conference realignment and playoff expansion talk over the last couple of weeks. You notice I didn't really delve into that this morning, nor will I on Thursday night, unless something truly historic breaks, because it's time to talk about football. I have heard you loud and clear. I feel the same way you do. This stuff is rainy day folder content, meaning it's just as relevant in February as it is today. We got to talk about the stuff that is more pressing and at hand, and that's college football. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Our numbers are insane. Continue to tell your friends, family, even your enemies, people you don't like their numbers count just the same. So thank you. If you're new, especially welcome to the party. Feel free to participate. JoshPate706 at gmail.com and Twitter and Instagram. Get those numbers up as they have continued to climb. Let's continue to add to that at Late Kick Josh. Until next time, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless.